What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Tuesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. This is a Sports Ethos presentation, and I am your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. Specifically, go check out EthosFantasyBB. That's where all of our new baseball and fantasy baseball content will be posted out from throughout this offseason. So make sure you are following. We are currently bringing on new writers as well. It won't be just myself producing content over there. It'll be a ton of different people. We're bringing on people. So if you are somebody who wants to get involved in the fantasy world and the sports world, send me a DM at JoeOrico99 or at Dan Bespris. Those are the two accounts where you should be reaching out, myself for baseball, Dan pretty much for anything else. So I don't want to waste too much time today with preambles, though. I want to just jump pretty much right into this. We're going to continue with the rankings where we left off yesterday. I've gone through half of my top 50. We've done 25 players. We did 15 on Friday. We did 10 yesterday. And we'll see how many we get through today. I don't like to put myself into boxes in terms of you're going to do 12 players today, you're going to do 10, you're going to do 15, whatever. I've said this before on the show, this is kind of like a curb your enthusiasm type outline. We know the general the general plots and then we fill it in uh, as we go along. We ad lib a little bit here and there. Now that being said, I don't want to take forever with these shows. We'll do two more days of these. I think it'll probably be roughly 12, 13 players today and then the same tomorrow. And then we'll get back to our positional review shows. We have to do shortstop, we have the outfield, we have starting pitchers, and we have relief pitchers. That'll probably take a few weeks there. Uh, But I do want to get back into it because those were a lot of fun. I put these rankings together and I did want to go through them here with you guys just to, you know, clear up anything. There's obviously you guys can ask any questions you like over on Twitter, uh, but I just wanted to give a little bit more background on why I put guys in certain spots. But that's enough of the preambling for me. Let's get right into the show here. Let's talk about number 26. And I did mention uh, the next five players after 25 yesterday. I listed out 26 through 30, but we're just going to jump right in here with Zach Wheeler. Zach Wheeler is who I have at number 26, and a lot of it is due to the consistency. You know what you're going to get with Zach Wheeler, probably in the neighborhood of you know 175 to 200 kind of innings. I know this year it was about 153, but you're typically getting, I mean, if you look at the previous couple of full seasons, 213, 195, 182. You're getting somewhere in that range. You're getting a below a 350 ERA, and you're getting solid strikeout numbers, which, is, I mean, not like going to blow you away kind of strikeout numbers. Fairly, I'm not going to say average because they are above average, but he's like close to a strikeout per inning, which you'll absolutely take given everything else. This season, it was 163 Ks in 153 innings. Last year, it was 247 Ks in 213 innings. Typically, I mean, that was a really good strikeout year for him. He's typically a little bit lower, but you can still expect really strong, like nine to nine and a half strikeout per nine kind of numbers on an exceptional team. I mean, we can't forget about the Phillies. This is probably not going to be a, it's likely in the miracle category this season, them doing what they did. Um, The expanded playoffs, certainly. I think that they were the team that benefited from the expanded playoffs. I don't know that we're going to see 
this kind of level of production from them every season. But they got a very good ball club. I would expect them to just keep adding to it. I mean, it really depends, I guess, actually. If they if they win the World Series here, maybe they're not so active aggressively in free agency to go and get more players, spend more money. Maybe they'd be content with that. I don't think that they're going to beat Houston. I think that that's I'd be pretty unlikely. And maybe they lose in the World Series. They go and add a few more pieces. They make that team that much stronger. It's a really tough division, which is why I hesitated a little bit about putting Zach Wheeler quite this high up. I was thinking maybe he'd be like you know, 31, 32 kind of number. But I ended up putting him here because it hasn't really affected him. He's pitched in this division for his entire career, and his career ERA is 342. And that's a little bit inflated still because of those first couple of seasons in New York. As you look at these last couple of years, 282, 278, 292. Uh, the New York years were a lot higher, 396, 331. But since he's been in Philadelphia, he's been really, really consistent. And I like taking him here somewhere in the beginning around three. I think that that'll probably make sense. Maybe he'll even go a little bit later in drafts, and I'd be totally cool with that, obviously, taking him a little bit farther down. But I think if you're taking him as your SP1 going into the spring, I'd be pretty confident in that. Maybe some people wouldn't, but I think what he's given you there, I'd be pretty confident having him lead by rotation. He did have some forearm tendonitis down the stretch, but it's something that he has every single year from what he's, I've listened to him talk and from what I've heard the Phillies say. Not something to really be concerned about there. So I wouldn't move him down rankings because of that. He's got a long time now in the offseason to work through that. And I think somewhere in early round three is where we're going to see Zach Wheeler settle in uh, 2023 drafts. Next up here at number 27, we got Paul Goldschmidt. That might feel kind of low, and I would understand why you might think so. Paul was the third overall player this season, the second, or the. let me just take a look here. Um, he was the third overall player this season, second position player behind Aaron Judge. He was incredible. Now, I worry a little bit. He's going into his age 35 season about the kind of, well, first of all, there's, there's a couple things to worry about. I worry about the playing time because he's always been an Iron Man. That's what he's been known for, 150, 160 some odd games. As he gets older, is he still going to play that many games? I know it's not the most stressful position first base, but I think we're going to probably see him take some more days off. Maybe it'll be more DHing. He DHed this year a lot, but that was because he'd never had an opportunity to DH before. Uh, really, I mean, playing in the National League, this was the first year where he could actually get some more days off. Maybe that'll benefit him a little bit, but I do worry about that. I mean, maybe some more days off as he gets older. And also the stolen bases, I don't think we're going to be able to really count on them so much as he gets, I mean, this season and going forward. I don't think we're ever going to see him really be a big threat to steal bases again. It was seven this year, 12 last year. It's not what he was doing in Arizona several years back when he actually had 30. He had 32 stolen bases in 2016. And he, I mean, there's a couple of years there where he could have won the MVP. I think he'll be rewarded for that this season. But I don't think we're going to see this same kind of level of production from Paul Goldschmidt. 317 was the highest batting average he'd had in seven years. 35 home runs in that kind of range I think is probably doable again. And the runs and RBIs, I mean, it's a very good lineup. So I do think that he can repeat somewhere in that. Maybe maybe it's not going to be 35 and 115. Maybe it'll be, you know, 30 and 90 or something like that. I'm not so worried there. I'm worried. I mean, the main thing that worries me is that he's, he's 35 years old. And a lot of players at that age and even before, you start to see them slow down. Now, he just had a career year. Is he going to repeat a career year again at that age? I wouldn't be betting on it. I think that he's still going to be fine. He's still going to have value. And I think he'll be better than fine. I mean, I have him ranked here at 27. I think he'll probably be somewhere in that third round. But I do worry that we're going to see him be overdrafted simply because of how good he was this season. And that's going to be a main theme. 
in this offseason for me and probably a lot of different shows we'll talk about, don't be chasing last year's production. Don't get last year's Brandon Drury or last year's Alcantara or last year's Stephen Kwan. Go for the next year version of these guys. And I think with Paul Goldschmidt, this was, I'm not going to say it's a swan song, but it's probably the best or the last great season he's going to have. I would I'd be very comfortable saying that, that he's probably maybe not even last great season, but last elite season. I don't think he's ever going to be a top five fantasy player again. 25 to 30 range, I think that that makes sense. But I worry that people are going to overdraft him chasing this production when the older you get every year that ticks on by, it just makes it a little bit more unlikely. So I, I love the dude. I love the lineup. I just wouldn't project him in the first round again. I think that's a little too risky. Number 28, we have Dylan Cease. Only real issue with Dylan Cease is his control. Uh, he did walk. I think he might have had the highest qualified walk rate this year. Oh, I think it was like 10, 11-ish percent. But he still had a 220 ERA, 227 strikeouts in 184 innings, and a 111 whip. And I mean, a lot of people have 111 whip is really good. It's actually quite high considering you have a 220 ERA, but the, I'm, I mean, you can't really worry so much about what Dylan Cease does. The strikeouts are a huge fallback. For anybody, uh, in fantasy, you draft a guy and you're expecting massive production. Uh, specifically, you know, when you're talk, drafting a pitcher and you're looking at massive production, you're looking at low ratios. Well, Dylan Cease is one of those guys who will protect you by his strikeout numbers. Even if he is having a poor game or having a poor stretch of things, he should still be able to strike out a lot of batters. He's thrown 480 innings in his career. He struck out 580 batters. He's striking out, uh, where is the K per nine here? Uh, 10.8 batters per nine innings. So that's something that I really like. In terms of the White Sox in general this season, I'm willing to give them kind of a mulligan on how the year went because of Tony La Russa, and it was just kind of a shit show altogether. And he was still great. He was still fan. Like, he could legitimately be a Cy Young winner with this line. Like, 14 wins, 227 Ks, a 220 ERA. You could be Cy Young with those numbers in a lot of years. Verlander should take it because he was just that much better. His ERA was below two, and I think that'll be the deciding factor there. Despite the fact that Verlander was kind of lucky this year a little bit, I think. Uh, we'll get to him. He's in this top 50. He's not going to be for a little while. Uh, but I think Dylan Cease legitimately could have been the Cy Young Award winner. He had that stretch of, what was it, seven or eight or nine games in a row where it was, I think it was one earned run or zero earned runs. I can't even remember exactly what, this, what the stretch was now. But he had a stretch of like 10 games where he was just, he looked like he was going to be the Cy Young. And can he do that kind of thing again next year? I think he can. I mean, he finished 28th this season. I have him ranked at 28 right now. I think he can even push up a little bit beyond that. He gets the control under control uh, this offseason a little bit. The White Sox, a little more stability. I think they'll probably be a better team. And maybe we even see him surpass those 14 wins. I really like taking Dylan Cease here somewhere in the middle of the third round. Uh, early, middle, third round, I think, makes a lot of sense if you're talking about 12-teamers. So 28, we have Dylan Cease. Next two guys, I'm going to talk about them together because they were pretty hard to, to separate here in my rankings, so I have them one above the other. Edwin Diaz and Emmanuel Classe. Now, I have Diaz 29, Classe 30. The thing that really distinguishes one from the other for me is the strikeout numbers. Diaz literally struck out 50.2% of batters this year. Like, let that sink in for a second. That is ridiculous. 50% of batters. 50%. It just, it just doesn't happen. I think the league average is 22. Like, it's just it's a stupid number. Now, he is a free agent. Maybe Edwin Diaz will leave the Mets. I think he'll probably come back. I think that they'll throw a bunch of money at him. I don't think they're going to want him to leave. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be a big, big fan of taking him somewhere in the third round, specifically if he stays with the Mets. If he goes to another team, we're going to have to reevaluate here a little bit. 
but I think that he will be the first closer off the board. And, it, and it's totally justified given the scarcity of saves and given the strikeout numbers. And he can give you more than 100 strikeouts. Like he this year, uh, what, I think it was like 114 strikeouts or something. Let me just pull it up real quick. 118 strikeouts in 62 innings. So even if the saves, let's say he doesn't have 32, let's say he has 25. And even if the ERA goes up from 130 to 2 and the whip is up from 0.84 to 1, he's still going to give you a crazy number of strikeouts. Maybe it won't be this many, but he could still give you like 100 strikeouts in 60 innings kind of thing. That in and of itself is really, really valuable. So Edwin Diaz for me, he would be the first closer I'd take off the board as of right now. Now that's not to say that Classe couldn't be the first closer off the board. He had a 42 save, 136 ERA, 0.73 whip season. I think it'd be perfectly justified to take him ahead of Diaz. Now, I'm a big strikeout guy. I will go for the strikeouts, especially when it's this close between these two kind of players. That's the one real thing that sets them apart for me. I don't think you can go wrong with either of them, but I would take Diaz over Classe. You got a better team. Assuming he stays with the Mets, that's that's a huge qualifier here. If Edwin Diaz signs with, you know, God forbid, but let's say he goes and signs with the Angels or something like that, or I don't know, uh, another kind of not a great team. He takes a lot of money. That's the thing, though. I, I think that if it's a money problem, it'll come down to Cohen. Just He'll give him a check. I think he wants to play for a good team. Likely, he'll probably stay for the Mets. I think that it, all signs point to him staying in New York. Uh, maybe we'll talk to some New York Mets fans. Uh, we'll see what they have to say over the next few weeks, few months, see if they have any opinions on it, maybe see if we can get a beat writer on the show, perhaps. That would be really cool. Uh, but I don't think he's going to leave. I think we're probably going to see Edwin Diaz as the Mets closer next year. Classe will be the closer for the Guardians, and I think they're going to be the one and two closers off the board here. No, not really much of a doubt. There's one more closer that I have in the top 50. I don't think we're going to get to him today. We'll talk about him tomorrow, but I think those two guys are going to be the cream of the crop. Okay, let's get into 31 here. This one's really hard. He's hard to rank, and maybe this is crazy low. Maybe it's crazy high. I don't know, but I have Mike Trout right now at number 31. Now, I'm a little bit worried about the back. I'm a little bit worried about the lineup around him. Despite the back, though, he hit 40 homers in 119 games, and I believe that was his highest home run pace of his career. It didn't seem like there was going to be much reason to be concerned there, but there is still reason to be concerned there. I mean, the initial report was that this is going to be something he has to deal with for his entire career. Maybe it's not quite as serious as we thought, but I think this will still be a lingering problem. Back issues, I have some back problems. I heard it working construction years ago. And it's always kind of stuck with me. It's obviously very different, but backs are tricky. We don't really know with backs. They can come, they can go. So maybe he'll be fine all next year, and then the year after, miss the whole season. It's it's almost impossible to predict with backs. But that's one. That's my one main worry. Uh, another thing there for me is that he doesn't steal bases anymore. And I know this is not like news with Mike Trout. It's been a couple of years. But that's definitely a factor. Like you're getting a guy who used to be a five category guy. He's now a four category guy. And the batting average also went down a little bit this year. If he plays 145, 150 games, then he's going to be a first round player. Assuming he's all healthy and there's no nonsense of he's on the field, but he's not hundred percent and he's looking not great. You know, if he's out there and healthy and playing 85, 90% of the games, then he should be a first round player. But like a few other guys we've talked about here, like Jacob DeGrom, like Bryce Harper, I've baked in my injury risk a little bit into the price. So 31 right now, I don't feel terribly confident in this number sticking with Mike Trout. <clears throat> I think there's a decent chance that it goes up, that it goes down a little bit. I'm not sure. This is, this is, of all the guys I ranked, of all these 50 players, 
Trout's probably the one I feel the least confident about. Maybe DeGrom. They're, they're pretty close. Uh, I'm sure this number will change a lot throughout the winter. But right now, I have him at 31. If you can get him in the third round, I would do it. And if you're doing drafts right now, you could you could get Trout in the third, I think, probably, and then go for Tatis in the fourth. Like, you could probably build an incredibly unique roster. I mean, that's the, that's the beauty about drafting a couple teams now, maybe a couple in December, a couple in March. You have... It's it's almost like you're playing different games. It's it's the ADPs will change so much, especially with a guy like Tatis. Uh, I think with Degrom, we'll see it move around, and and with Mike Trout, I think with Mike Trout, you'll see some people will take him maybe late first. Some people I'm, that early draft that they, those guys did that Rob DiPietro and those guys did a couple months ago. I think Trout went like seventieth, and that was a little different. There were I think they were going by hand without having ADP data in front of them on a computer. It was like a mid-season draft for the next year which I applaud the degeneracy. I really do. If any of you guys are listening and doing any of those early drafts, invite me onto them because I will happily take part in any of those things. I love that kind of thing. But someone got Mike Trout in the 70s in that draft, and that's like a real draft champions for next year. It's not going to be happening going into this year, and I think that was kind of a unique circumstance because they weren't going off of a site. I think they were just using pen and paper from what I understand. And just, you know, a list of players and in that kind of situation, people will fall in an individual draft. Uh, you will see, you know, oh, shit, this guy's still available at 40. Like that thing does happen here and there with Trout. I don't know where it's going to end up landing, but you do a couple drafts now. You get him somewhere in the 30s and you get, I mean, we talked about Tatis yesterday going in the late 30s. That's why it might be kind of fun to do a couple now, a couple in the winter and then a couple in the spring, I think. You do them all in the spring, then you're dealing with all the same data for those drafts, and maybe some people will like that. You don't have to worry about constantly updating your brain with information on, this guy's going here, it's a value in the third, it's not a value in the second, I should grab him in the fifth for sure. Like, There's so many different ways you can go about these drafts, and I mean, some people will put a ton of effort into looking at baseball forecasters and you know Joey P's Black Book and all kinds of different things to get ready for the season, and then some people will hop into their draft half an hour before on yahoo they say okay i'm picking sixth uh who's going sixth okay let's take uh, otani sixth and then you know there's some people that just no prep i've done a couple drafts like that <clears throat> there was last year actually i did one draft like that where it was my very first draft of the year no prep and the team did not too badly and i think that's kind of goes to the point as well is that this is a crapshoot we don't really know what's going to happen next season maybe you take trout in the 30s right now and I don't think it's likely, but maybe he finishes as a top five fantasy player. If he plays the whole season, then he could be. There's also, we haven't talked about this yet with Trout, but maybe he gets traded. Maybe the Angels say, to hell with this team, to hell with this roster construction. Trout and Otani are on the market. You guys have to pay a king's ransom for them, but they're available. I think that that's something that could happen because, let's be honest, the Angels have no idea what they're doing with those guys. They've tried. I mean, give them credit. They've tried to bring in free agents. It's not like they've tried to, you know, promote double-A players to play with Otani and Trout and hope that it works. No, they paid Josh Hamilton. They paid Pujols. They paid Rendon. It just didn't work out. So, I mean, maybe at some point they have to hit the reset button, and I know that that would probably alienate a lot of fans trading Otani and Trout. I can't even imagine the return, but it would set them up for success going forward for the next maybe, you know, 8, 10, 12 years, however long it would be that window, I think that that's a possibility. And I think we can't rule it out. And that would also make us have to reevaluate the whole Trout situation. It might move us way up on Trout if he gets traded to the Mets or some shit like that. Like, oh my God, or Yankees or whoever. I don't know. <clears throat> oh, there's a lot of places, most places, I think, where you would have to say if he gets traded, you're going to move up his value. So long story short with Mike Trout, 
I'm not really confident in ranking him right now. I put him here in the early th- I have him at 31. I think there's a decent chance he's going to move around a little bit, though. So this one, of all the rankings, is not the stickiest. For sure, not the stickiest. Let's move on now to number 32, and that's Alec Manoa. The dude just oozes stud. You can see it when you watch him, and maybe I've seen that more than the average person because I'm a Toronto, born and raised in Toronto. I'm a Blue Jay fan, and I've seen he's made 51 starts in his career. I've probably watched 45 of them. Like I've watched pretty much every time the guy takes the bump. And even if he doesn't have it on a particular night, he's not giving up more than three earned runs. Like He might give them all up in the first inning and give up five hits and look terrible. That's all you're going to get off of him that night. Like that's, that's been what he's done now for 51 starts. A 260 ERA, a 25-9 record so far. Not that that is the be-all and end-all. In fact, I think it's closer to the opposite. But it's still, I mean, it's, it's telling in some ways that they've won 25 games. Or he has won 25 games and lost nine in his decisions. I think that that's certainly something. The only thing I didn't really like this year with Alec Manoa was that his strikeout numbers went down. Last year, granted, not as many innings, but he had 10.2 strikeouts per nine. This year was 8.2. It's not really a big deal for me because he just figures out a way to succeed regardless. He, he, I don't even know like how to quantify it sometimes with him. It looks like he's in a lot of trouble. He doesn't have the greatest speed. He's not throwing 100. He just knows how to locate his pitches, and I think the confidence really, really plays a factor there with Alec Manoa. He's just a stud, and I know that's not scientific or analytical in any way, but if you just watch the dude pitch, if you need – to know to understand the confidence that Manoa has, and you haven't seen it yet, go back and watch the inning from the All-Star game. It's on YouTube where he was mic'd up and he was pitching. And he was asking John Smoltz, hey, John, what should I throw here? Slider? Okay, slider. You know, and it just a lot of players would not be able to do that. And the bright lights, facing studs. I forget the three guys that he faced, but it was no slouches. It was an All-Star game, for Christ's sakes. I mean, the dude struck out the side. Uh, he's, I think he hit a batter in there as well, but he struck out the side while mic'd up. And he's 23 years old, or 24. Is he 24 now? He's, he's, a, he's a kid, man. He, he is a, he's a total kid, and he's still this good. Yeah, he's 24 years old. He'll be 25 before next season starts. I couldn't be happier to take him at this range, and I think maybe some people will even take him a little bit lower. Uh, looking at that NFBC stuff the other day, I think he was going quite a bit lower than this. Actually, that was yesterday. We were looking at the, uh, the NFBC ADP numbers, and I'll just pull that up real quick here just to see uh, where he was going, where he is going. Uh, 64th. Holy shit, guys. He's going at 64 right now. I would be jumping on that if you're in early NFBC drafts in the fifth round or the fourth round. Uh, I mean, it'll be fifth and beyond, depending on if it's a 15-teamer or whatever. Wow. That's that's really low for me. I Let me just see who's listed ahead of him here. I think might be a little bit crazy. Uh, Shane Bieber ahead of him? No chance for me there. Carlos Rodon ahead of him? I think that's a little bit risky. Nothing else really that crazy. I wouldn't have Aaron Nola ahead of him, although I think that one's probably kind of close. Um, yeah, the only one that's really kind of egregious there, I think, for me, is Shane Bieber. Uh, wow. If you can get him at 64, if you're doing a draft and you can get Manoa at 64, I'd be doing it in a heartbeat. It will not be like that come preseason. For sure, that number will go will, will shrink. It'll be, I think the highest it will be is 50. And even that, I think that that's going to be going to be a little bit crazy. I'd expect him to go in the first three rounds, assuming it's a 12-teamer. 36 would probably be where I think it's, I think it should be at the lowest. But, hell, if you can get him in the 60s, I'd go ahead and do it. Next up here, we have Max Scherzer. A couple pitchers here in a row in this stretch. I have Scherzer next, and I think they're all kind of in the same grouping. I love Scherzer. I just don't really trust him as much as I once did. And I don't think he'll ever be awful. Like, I don't think he'd ever go out there for a season – 
and give you Patrick Corbin numbers and then, you know, have to slink out the back door into retirement. That's not really him. But he's going to be 38 years old. He's likely going to have to miss some time again. If he's healthy the entire year, then he could realistically, likely even, be the SP1 across all of fantasy. If he's healthy, if he's throwing 37 starts, then that's totally realistic. But I don't know. Is he going to throw that many innings? He threw 145 this season where he's going to be 38 years old. I'm a little bit skeptical about how much value he's going to have next season. I'm just taking a look here at this NFBC ADP board. He's going at 43 right now. So I guess people are kind of thinking along the same lines of what I'm thinking, that they don't want to draft him too high up. I mean, this season, he was still excellent when he was out there at 229 ERA, 173 Ks in 145 innings, a .91 whip. On a per-game basis, he was number 10 this season. I don't really like doing per-game basis for baseball. It's more so a basketball thing because there's some guys who will play. I mean, if you can filter it the right way, it'll still work. But if I just go right now to, like, season average, the number one player here listed on Yahoo, it's, there's a lot of guys who played, like, one game and they hit one home run. So James Outman is listed as the number one per-game player over on Yahoo. I mean, if you really filter it here, it's actually Verlander and then Judge and then DeGrom. But then after those guys, it's Max Scherzer. So, I mean, he was excellent. He's one of those guys who is kind of similar similar vein to, to uh, DeGrom where maybe he doesn't throw 200 innings. He can give you 120, and it's still going to be valuable, which is why I still have him here in the 30s because I still think that he can give you a lot of production per game specifically. In terms of what you're trusting him to do the entire year, I'm a little bit more skeptical, and that's mostly because of age. I mean, the guy, when he's out there, he's still producing. I'm just worried about, is it going to be 20 starts? Is it going to be 18? Is it going to be 28? You know, uh, it's very hard to predict at this point, but I think 33 makes sense as of right now. Let's move on to Brandon Woodruff. I have him at 34. Woodruff struggled to begin 2022, but once June hit, he was the same dude we always see. He had a 305 ERA and a 30.6 strikeout percentage, even with the rough start, and it makes you wonder, if he wasn't brutal for the first month and a half two months of the year how low would that era have been it would have been below three for sure maybe you see the strikeout number 32 33 percent instead he benefits one thing that i love about him and not just him corbin burns peralta all the guys who are pitching there aaron ashby will be interesting next year is they're one of the worst probably the worst division in baseball uh you don't have to worry i mean al east nl east those are those are nightmares for drafting pitchers and you'll still do it but if you're dealing with the national league central you got three teams who are going to be terrible competing for 100 losses next year, Cincinnati and Pittsburgh. And then Chicago might even be like, I'm not even sure how bad they're going to be. They might just get rid of Wilson Contreras and just, you know, fully, fully rebuild, which they're pretty much already doing. But you got a pretty, pretty piss poor division there in the NL Central. So drafting Brandon Woodruff, you get, I don't know, eight, ten starts against these teams, against the Cubs, Pirates, and Reds. Like that's that's something to really keep in mind there. I mean, he's not exactly a workhorse. But 160-ish innings, 200 strikeouts, I think that that's really within the cards uh, for Brandon Woodruff. And I would not I would not at all be worried about drafting him because of those struggles at the beginning of last year. It happens. We see guys go through stuff. He figured it out. He was great from June onwards. And I think middle of the third round, probably right. And I'm just kind of curious now, where are these NFBC drafters are taking Brandon Woodruff? Uh, where is he? I'm guessing he's probably in the same kind of range here as Scherzer. Uh, oh, he's actually way higher than Scherzer, 28. His ADP right now is at 28. It might even be a touch high, but I mean 28, 34. 
uh, at this time of year, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, I think somewhere in that range is is, is correct. We're going to obviously all of these numbers are going to be relooked at a few times and the write-ups will change. But as of right now, middle of the third, middle, late third for Brandon Woodruff, I think that makes a hell of a lot of sense. Let's move on to number 35 now, and that would be Max Freed. The dude is so consistent over his six-year career. He is 54 and 25 with a 309 ERA. It certainly helps that he plays for an incredible team, but if you just look at him every single year, uh, 14 and 7 this season, 14 and 7 last year, 7 and 0 in 2020, 17 and 6 in 2019, which was the only real bad ERA year of his career at 402, but that was the juiced ball year. Uh, these last three years, 248, 304, 225. It's hard to be more confident in this kind of range. I mean, Woodruff, I'm pretty confident about. Manoa, I'm pretty confident about. Scherzer, not as confident about, but Max Fried. Uh, he is certainly in my in the list of my guys for next season. I think that he'll probably be going maybe even a little bit later than this. I don't think that he's going to be someone who is so highly sought after in drafts. Uh, I could be wrong about that, but I seem to remember seeing some ADP stuff and he wasn't like the craziest high pick there. I think that there is still some value to be had on a guy like Max Fried. Let me just quickly take a look because there is data from drafts this year on their website as well as on their Twitter page at the NFBC um let me just see here we'll go to atlanta go to max freed 58th he's being drafted at 58th i think that that's pretty damn low for max freed what was his finish this season he was 41st i think 58 is kind of low i don't know uh would you draft spencer strider ahead of him i wouldn't i think that that's a little bit too risky we know what we're gonna get out of freed now for several years Strider, as great as he is, I'll tell you now, I have him at 43. I have him a few spots below. I think there's more consistency with Freed. We know more so what we're going to get. Strider is a two-pitch pitcher going into his second year. It could be ugly. I don't think it will be, but it could be. Uh, so that risk is kind of baked in there. I would much rather have Max Freed if I had to choose between the two of them. Maybe not much rather, but if, it's, if I'm given the choice, I'm taking Max Freed. Michael Harris is who I have at 36. He's kind of hard to rank as well. I think that he'll bounce around a little bit. Uh, but the end of the third round feels generally correct. On those NFBC drafts, he's going pretty high. 27 is currently his ADP. Uh, that's a little bit t- that's a little bit out of my price range, I think, in terms of Michael Harris. Now, maybe he ends up being a top 10 player. He could. Like, This is going to sound stupid, probably, but he could be like the number one fantasy player. He has that kind of skill set. And I did an episode a couple months uh, – when was this? <clears throat> maybe six weeks, two months ago – and a big part of the episode was talking about how Michael Harris is kind of going to be discounted Julio, discounted Acuna, discounted uh, Trey Turner in that same kind of production range, but he's going to be several rounds cheaper. Now, maybe people are going to push him up to, where, to the point where it's like, okay, is this even a discount? I mean, you know, if he's going in the second round, not much of a discount. You'd still want to, I mean, hell, it's not a discount at all, but discounted compared to those other guys, sure. I think that somewhere at the end of the third round makes sense for me in 12-teamers. 36 right now, he, he, he could and probably will move because, I mean, he had 20-20 in 114 games, and he's usually batting ninth in that lineup. I think he'll probably lead off next season. Like, there are, there are things that will improve. Another year forward could mean good, could mean bad. Like, growth is not linear for prospects. It could be a really good season for him. It also might be a bit of a downturn. I think he'll be leading off, and I think he'll be exceptional in that lineup, and he could go for a 30-30 season. Like, I really think he could do that. And we'll, we'll have to reevaluate this winter as more information comes out. Maybe Dansby Swanson sticks around, and maybe they keep him in the bottom of the order, in which case, you know, I don't think I would move him up quite this high. 
I'm kind of anticipating that they will put him at the top because his skill set screams one or two in the order. But we'll have to reevaluate closer to the year. Right now, um, I have him at 36, somewhere in the 3-4 turn probably makes sense. If he's going 25, 27 that range, I might be priced out. But right here, uh, I'd be pretty good with it. Zach Gallen is the next guy we'll talk about now. His 2021 season had me buying him all over the place this season because uh, we know what Zach Allen can do. We know what he's done in his career. Last year was the only season where he'd ever been above a three ERA, and it was 430. If you go back to 2019, it was 281 and then 275, and then you had this 430. And then this year, he settled back in with 254 over making the most starts of his career, throwing by far the most innings. Uh, last year, he threw 121 innings, which was the most. This year, 184. Really impressive stuff out of him. Specifically, there was a stretch where I don't think he allowed any earned runs over like six games, seven games. It was a long time. It was a good long time where he was not allowing any runs. And that right there probably pushed up his ADP. And it, it, I'll, I'll be honest, it moved away, moved him up in my own um, my own rankings just because, well, shit, like he's doing, he's doing some amazing things right now. And I think that he deserved it. I think that he deserves to be going somewhere in the beginning of the fourth round range. That's where he can probably return value for you. Uh, I'm going to take a look where he is going in these early drafts right now. 67. Maybe I'm a little bit ahead of consensus, but I think somewhere in the 40s makes sense. Where I mean, check where his finish was this season. It was pretty high. 21. Yeah, he finished at 21 this season. I think that the Diamondbacks will just keep getting better. We've talked about that a lot on the show. I mean, they have a lot of really nice pieces. Corbin Carroll, Dalton Varsho. <clears throat> I really like Christian Walker. Josh Rojas is nice. Uh, Alec Thomas should just keep getting better and better. Uh, I don't think we're going to see Drew Jones next year, but, I, man, like the, I really like what we're seeing out of this team. So uh, can they win some more games? I think they had a 20-win jump from 2021 to 2022. Can they jump another 10 or 12, and can a, a few of those be attributed and go to Gallon? Can he get up to 15? Absolutely, yeah. A guy who's giving you sub three ERAs every year. Pretty friendly home ballpark for home runs. Good strikeout numbers, good ratios. I really like Zach Gallon. If he's going in the 60s, I would pounce. I would absolutely pounce 67. That's That seems a little bit too low for me. But maybe we'll move him down. Maybe we'll move him up. I'm sure that he'll move up from that as we get closer to draft season. That seems a little bit too low. That'll be it for today, guys. We're going to pick it up tomorrow and do the final 13 players. There's also a couple of just-missed-the-cut honorable mention players that we'll touch on briefly. But tomorrow we'll be done with these for now. We'll pick them up probably in, I want to say, January. Uh, this, this December, January, I'll probably expand the list to 100, and then we'll expand it again before the season and just keep growing it and growing it. I think that's probably what I'll end up doing. Uh, but, yeah, we'll be finished with these tomorrow. And then we'll get back to our positional shows uh, the following day. We'll start with shortstop. And then we'll go into the outfield, starting pitchers, and then relievers. And then what we're going to do after that, I'm not sure if it'll be the next thing after or if it'll be something in between. We're still kind of figuring it out. But I do want to do team review shows. I want to look at teams not just from a fantasy perspective. I want to look at them from a baseball perspective. We do have some people individually who I have lined up to come on to talk about certain teams. We're going to have Alex Fast come and talk about the Orioles at some point. Uh, Mike Carter should be coming on to talk about the White Sox. I want to get people who are fans of those teams and who are also fantasy baseball people to come and talk to us about these specific franchises and, you know, give fantasy input as well, but just talk about how the teams did, what we'd expect for the offseason, what we expect for next year and long-term. So let me know what you guys think of that plan. No solid dates of anybody in particular yet, but that will be what we do uh, over these next few months. So hit me up over on Twitter, at JoeOrico99 at Ethos Fantasy BB and check out 
at Ethos Fantasy BK as well. The best basketball blurb feed that is on Twitter. Constant updates. There's always people who are putting out notes, articles, updates, whether it's free or premium stuff as well. We have a ton of ton of fantasy basketball stuff available at sportsethos.com. So please do go check that out and leave a five-star review on the show if you could be so kind. Guys, we'll see you again tomorrow. Everybody enjoy. Cheers. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.